This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. show is a continuation of the discussion with Dr. Bill Dodson on depression and ADHD. Dr. Dodson is a psychiatrist and one of the pioneers in treatment of adult ADHD starting 20 years ago. The show this week covers bipolar depression and ADHD. The two are commonly seen together. Up to 20% of those with bipolar also have ADHD and vice versa. Depression and bipolar is distinctly different and of higher risk than other depression. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. Bill, welcome back to the program and we'll uh, keep on going with our discussion. Great. Good to be here. We're talking about bipolar now, which is maybe easier to confuse with ADHD because there's some elements of the impulsivity and things going fast. So, how would a clinician get or anybody get confused? What are the kind of the junctions between them? What gets them confused is that people who have an ADHD style nervous system are very passionate, intensely emotional people to begin with. Uh, their highs are higher, their lows are lower. And so they tend to have mood shifts that can be uh, quite dramatic. The difference is that people who have ADHD, those intense mood shifts are going to be triggered by some event. The emotional response is going to match that event. It's going to be congruent is the technical term. The mood shift is going to be instantaneous. Uh, but for people with ADHD, they're not going to last that long, minutes to hours, that sort of thing. So in other words, for people with ADHD, the mood shifts are normal moods in every way except their intensity. Mm -hmm. For people who are bipolar, the moods have no trigger. The moods change very gradually over weeks to months. Um, and then they leave very gradually over weeks to months. And by definition, it, that mood shift has to last at least two weeks uninterrupted. Um, with people with ADHD, um, they're going to have two or three mood shifts today. So um, oddly enough, we think of bipolar as being much slower than uh, ADHD is. Uh, so they're actually quite different. So how about if you have depression and ADHD, as we talked about uh, in the last show, but it's really bipolar depression? And is that harder to sort out? Much harder to sort out because, um, first of all, depression, the depressed phase in bipolar 
is 90 to 95% of what the person lives. Um, mm -hmm. You only have to have one manic episode in your life in order to get a diagnosis of bipolar. People who have bipolar are also going to have extended periods of time during which their moods are euthymic. They are neither high nor low. Um, people with ADHD tend to be the same all times of the yeah. year. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it, it's a good history going back saying there are periods when you're depressed, periods when you're absolutely normal, and maybe a period when you're on the high side. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's based on that clinical history. Uh, also with bipolar, you're looking for a family history of bipolar, which is very, very helpful. And, and um, that may show up differently than uh, the ADHD, certainly if there's a history of suicide somewhere or... Uh, alcoholism is a big one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my aunt who would go to the couch and stay there for the next six months. Uh, that's her history. Yeah. Um, or someone who was out on spending sprees, running up credit cards, uh, everything was great. He had to go buy three suits because his company was going to do great on Wall Street. And this is kind of out of nowhere. Right. Or um, sexual interest and uh, sexual activity is also very common, especially for adolescents. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a completely uncharacteristic um, change in personality, energy level, that sort of thing. The other thing is that ADHD has always been there. You have to trace it all the way back to childhood. It's the screen against which the person's entire life plays out. Bipolar comes on late. Moods start shifting on average at age 17 and a half. The average age of diagnosis in the United States is 26. Yeah. So the history that you get is the person's always been ADHD, and then in their late teens, early 20s, the mood disorder gets layered in on top. So again, it's, it's based on a carefully taken history. Mm -hmm. The depressions are going to look identical. Uh, they, they sound the same. So you really can't tease a bipolar depression separate from a major depression. So how about the irritability factor? I know that's one thing that uh, I've looked at um, kind of in terms of a, is a kid what might be called chronically irritable. And um, Declan Quinn up in Canada has come up with a, a he and uh, that's especially so in children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, um, children tend not to have the euphoric type mania that we think when we say the word mania. Children and, and adolescents tend to be severely irritable. Um, any little thing triggers them off and way out of proportion. Yeah. yeah. And they're called affective storms. Uh, for a reason. You feel like you are in a hurricane uh, when these people really get going with their irritability. So that that is also a tip-off. Um, and most people think of mania as being euphoric, grandiose on top of the world. 
but that's only about 30% of manias. The other 70% are irritable manias. Uh, the person is irritable, agitated, aggressive, can't sleep. It's really quite unpleasant. The things I hear often from uh, families is the family is walking on eggshells. Right. I think that's more the indication of, boy, these are really major things. We don't want to trigger those. Um, exactly. The, the other thing is that after the episode is over, most people who've been through that irritable phase or they've been manic or something like that don't remember it, or it's remembered as if it were a dream. So they can't learn from that. Uh, yeah. They don't remember having gotten in trouble with their manias. And so I um, strongly suggest to families that during this period, when they're either euphoric or irritable, that they videotape the person mm -hmm. so that when the episode is over, they can see themselves as they actually were. Uh, and that really helps with getting somebody compliant with the treatment program for their bipolar. Is there also an aspect of kind of with bipolar blaming someone else for the fact that all this started with ADHD? Often there's remorse and boy, I'm I'm sorry, I just kind of got irritated about a little thing, but that's five or ten minutes later. Right. They're going to minimize it. There's nothing wrong with me. That was, you know, it was just a little blip. Don't worry about it. Um, that's especially so if they're in a euphoric mania. They will protect that mania. They like it. They want to keep it. Um, mm -hmm. They don't see it as a problem. Yeah, they've got energy. They're getting a lot of things done. Um, boy, yeah. ideas are coming fast and furious, and they don't understand. Great, you wrote all this music, but it's really a mush. It's not yeah. really put together well. Or uh, yeah. How can anything that feels this good be bad is yeah. kind of the logic of it. Yep, they're feeling great. So that, that's where it's important to videotape it so that the person can see what they were actually like because they're not going to believe somebody telling them what they were like. They need to see it. Yep. So then we've got the conclusion maybe that, all right, this person seems to have a bipolar disorder, um, and whether it's bipolar 1 or 2 or somewhere along the spectrum maybe, and ADHD is present, which, which do we treat first? You always have to treat the mood disorder first. Um, and this, this is a very common problem. Uh, the STEP-BD program and also the National Comorbidity Survey Replication uh, showed that somewhere between 25 and 40 percent of people who are bipolar also have ADHD. So this is going to come up very, very commonly. Um, mm -hmm. You have to stabilize the bipolar first. Yep. Uh, if, if you have somebody who has both conditions and you start them off on a stimulant, their risk of having a manic episode goes up sixfold, 600%, uh, which is a very big dump. Yes. 
If, on the other hand, the person is taking a mood-stabilizing medication, practically any of them, in fact, and you start them on a stimulant, the frequency and severity of the manias go down 60%. Uh, now, they still can have manias, but not as frequently. So it's something complex going on that in one condition, it can increase uh, the manias by 600%, and in another condition, it can decrease them by 60%. So the two are not mutually exclusive, but you've got to stabilize the mood with a mood stabilizer first. The other aspect of that, even if someone's in the manic phase of bipolar, usually that's followed by a depression, and that kind of the bipolar depression is uh, something that is more often leads to either suicidal thinking or completed suicide. So that's another reason to say, let's get the mood stabilized before we get into this uh, suicidal thinking. Yeah, suicide in people with bipolar is very seasonal. Uh, they yeah. tend to occur at the end of an episode, usually in the month of May. Yeah, um, I, I find that so interesting that uh, why is it seasonal and one family said you know we have to watch out for this what turns out to be the effective storm because man they get really bad in may and they're really bad around october november and that's i guess more the clue of yeah okay, and then in the summertime they're fine yeah it has to do with the length of sunlight, because in the southern hemisphere, it's six months out of phase with us. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, they start having their manic episodes in May, whereas ours are usually in October-ish, October, November, mm -hmm. something like that. And then a lot of times I think uh, if it's an adolescent or younger child, um, parents or even clinicians say, oh, okay, he's not so anxious because he's not in school now. So yeah. summer seems great. Well, it may not be related. That's part of it, maybe, but uh, it's there's a different um, different thing going on underlying. I think some clinicians figure, well, um, the patient doesn't like the ADD part. They aren't bothered by the mania. Um, so the clinician may start treating the ADD, which is the wrong um, step. I often look at, uh, see, I've got a, I'm going to treat the bipolar and mood stabilize, but if either I haven't picked up on the bipolar or it seems like the depression, then I'm going to start with ADD meds because you can usually tell if they're successful or not pretty quickly. There's antidepressant may take four to six or eight weeks. Yeah, it, you, the depressed mood can be kicked into a mania very quickly by an ADHD stimulant. You really have to get the person back to themselves and keep them on medication before you can try the stimulant. 
when you do, it works marvelously well, and it's probably one of the more powerful things you can do to stabilize their mood further. Yeah. Uh, but the bipolar comes first uh, if you pick it up, which is the problem. Yeah. And what I found with uh, bipolar, and this is a, only a few patients, but they'll continue they'll continue having the mania because they choose to go off their lithium because they like the mania um, or they've had a number of manic episodes then uh, they end up in hospital maybe a psych hospital and the psychiatrist there says well gee lithium hasn't worked and Abilify hasn't worked so let's use something that's a newer and more powerful one and then they get side effects to that so there's a whole mix of which because one's going to work better um, sometimes it isn't always better so one other thing that, uh, and this seems to be getting more, uh, I guess, recognition and, and particularly the FDA, when, uh, say, someone is on a medication for depression, usually it's going to be one of the SSRIs, the serotonin medications, and then, oh, well, we found ADHD is also there. So let's start a stimulant. And there's a warning now that, oh, this may trigger something called the serotonin syndrome. There's actually an overload of serotonin. Um, what, what have you found or what are your thoughts on that? The job of the FDA is to certify that medications are effective and safe. That's it. Once they've done that, they they fulfill their mandate. So they tend to look for problems. Um, amphetamine in particular has a very strong uh, serotonin component itself. So the fear was that if you added the serotonin effects of amphetamine with the serotonin effects of a SSRI antidepressant, you could get this serotonin syndrome, which is an excess of serotonin. It turns out that there's never been a case of it. Uh, it's, it's listed in the pharmaceutical compendiums as theoretical. Now, it's listed as, as a possibility by the FDA, but in point of fact, it just hasn't happened. And there are millions of people who take SSRIs and amphetamine every day. The, uh, I guess, concern, if it were to happen, is serotonin syndrome is a very serious condition. That right, it is not to be taken lightly, but it, if it does occur with this combination, it's exceedingly rare. Mm -hmm. In the, all of the scientific literature, there's the report of one possible case, uh, and even then it's not clear that that's that serotonin syndrome was what we were dealing with. Mm -hmm. So it, it shouldn't be something that scares people off of taking either medication. Um, we're not even sure that, that this risk exists. Um, so it, it's not something that I would change what I was doing. Um, it's a theoretical possibility, nothing more.
So the serotonin syndrome at least being described, what are the kinds of things that can trip someone into that if it's not this combination of them? Uh, could they get that, say, if they're taking 20 milligrams of Lexapro and, gee, your depression isn't getting better, we're going to go up to 40. Would right. that be the kind of thing that would trigger it? It can. The type of thing that usually triggers it is multiple medications from different classes that are strongly serotonergic. Um, so, say a person who's taking 20 milligrams of Lectopro who uh, starts taking tramadol for pain, mm -hmm. um, and you, and then another uh, SSRI, uh, serotonin, strongly serotonergic uh, medication, uh, say um, Dextromorphorphan, which is the most common uh, cough medicine over the counter, and so it's when unbeknownst to anybody, they're putting one strongly serotonergic medication on top of the next, mm -hmm. and um, that's what usually triggers a serotonin syndrome, uh, which is a um, person uh, gets stiff, their muscles get stiff, their uh, blood pressure goes all over the place, um, their body temperature goes very high, 103, 104. Um, it's a, a, a very striking syndrome. Yeah, and very uncomfortable. So someone yeah. is going to go to the emergency room because this comes on all of a sudden. And, and there are medications that can be given in the emergency room, uh, which will turn it around in a matter of minutes. So, but you have to go to the emergency room. Kind of shifting back to the bipolar again, in terms of stabilizing that mood, would one just stay on the same mood stabilizer and emphasize to the person with the bipolar, you've got to stay on this one, don't drop it off um, just because you're feeling good or, okay, now it's the summer, I shouldn't need it. Um, is this something that's a long-term, yes, you really do need to take it all the time? Yes. Um, I emphasize prevention, prevention, prevention. Uh, we are moderately good at bringing manias down. We are pretty poor at bringing bipolar depressions up. Once we get them up, we can stabilize them uh, with lithium or something like that, but we don't have good anti-bipolar depression medications. We've got a grand total of one, the tutor. So, once somebody does have their mood normal and stable, I emphasize to them that's what we have to continue to do. Uh, we need to continue to take the medication so that you don't have another episode because bipolar is a kindling illness. Each time you have an episode, it does damage. Yeah. Um, in fact, the, uh, when you do brain scans, each episode decreases the volume of the brain set. Uh, and so as, as you have more and more episodes, the episodes get longer, deeper, closer together. Um, it just gets much, much worse. And so the only thing we can do is to keep that from happening by preventing those cycles. 
So it is when the person is feeling good that they actually need the medication the most uh, mm-hmm. to keep them from going in to a mood episode. I'm thinking of one particular patient of mine who's, at, I think, an extreme example of both a bipolar one goes into mania. He can recognize that he's going into it. And interestingly, he finds that at his signal that he's starting into mania is when a color triggers a sound. So he sees colors and he hears a sound. He says, you know, I'm driving down the road and I see these billboards and everything else with different colors. There's no nice cord that comes out of it. Uh, so that's his uh, sign. And I think because of this, the racing thoughts things, we found that, oh boy, if I have some alcohol, that kind of slows things down. So now he's got two problems. When he's cut his alcohol down, he's only drinking one bottle of tequila a day. Uh, right. About, so about half of people with bipolar end up being alcoholic for exactly what you just described. They're trying to self-medicate, and it doesn't do a good job. No, because then they've got the alcoholism aspects. Um, so would the mood... Hopefully the mood stabilizer keeps that mania from happening, cuts down the racing part, and then convincing them, okay, now let's do something about the alcohol issue. And this fellow, I think, uh, well, that's his prevention mechanism. So he's associated, if I do that, then I'm not going to get into the mania part. And it it really gets wound around. they're trying to, okay, let's get you over and take care of the alcohol problem. Yeah. Which is very hard to do unless the bipolar is under very good control. And I think that's a, a positive thing that we need to emphasize, is that while bipolar can be a devastating condition, it also, we've gotten pretty good about treating it, to where if a person will actually stay on their medication, they can have an absolutely normal life. Mm-hmm. And if they don't stay on their medication, it'll be the same old, same old forever. And uh, I think the challenge is they feel good. I probably won't need the medication. They stop it. And it may be two months before that cycle starts again because it's right. not necessarily going to fall right away. Where if someone with ADD runs out of their medicine, and they come back and we get started back, they said, I know perfectly well it was, it was working because the day I didn't take it, that I was really scattered and I was forgetting things. So that shows up, bingo, right away. Yeah, next day. Bipolar is a tougher. Well, I think we uh, have covered a lot of the aspects of bipolar and see that bipolar disorder on its own can be difficult to diagnose and then when you get the two ADHD and bipolar mixed together um, that it is even trickier but really important to sort out so that the mood gets stabilized before we're adding stimulants. Um, It's a as a clinician I find it a, a fascinating puzzle to sort through but 
uh, also really important because particularly with someone with bipolar, it has major implications for uh, their brain function and uh, in their life and how much it affects their life and the life of everybody around them. Yeah. Well, we need to wrap up and thank you, Bill, again for um, joining the show. And we had one other thing that uh, you'd wanted to bring up, and I think this is an important uh, aspect, and that's your research on uh, another aspect of ADHD. Yes, um, I'm, I'm very interested in a, it's not an official designation, but rejection-sensitive dysphoria, uh, which is a big part of ADHD, and a lot of people with ADHD identify with it. Uh, it's an extreme uh, sensitivity to the perception uh, that you've been rejected, criticized, teased, or that you've done it to yourself because you didn't meet your own standards. We're in the process of doing the first studies to validate or invalidate the concept of rejection sensitivity. And so we're asking um, people uh, to fill out a questionnaire. Uh, it takes somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes uh, online. Uh, and we need people who have doctor-diagnosed ADHD um, or people who don't have ADHD who will act as controls. So if you're willing to give us a half an hour of your time, we would be deeply appreciative. Uh, just send your name, your birth date, uh, and how we would contact you over um, email to empathyrsd at gmail.com. So that's E-M-P-A-T-H-Y-R-S-D at gmail.com. And uh, someone will uh, contact you, and uh, the rest will take care of itself. So I hope that you'll give us your time and help us uh, validate this concept. Great. Thank you, Bill. I think that is a very important aspect of to define, is it a kind of a something that's there? Is it a real aspect of ADHD? Uh, so I hope uh, anybody listening, whether you think you have ADHD or you're listening because your child might or um, a spouse, that if you don't have ADHD, you can still help the cause. Uh, so that's empathyrsd at gmail.com. Um, so this is Dr. David Pomeroy uh, thanking you for listening, and we'll hope to be giving you some more shows in the future. I'm sure we will. And thank you for listening. <laughs>